Well, as I just said, this morning uh, we're going to be spending some time looking and thinking at the book of Philemon. And as I've just said, the book of Philemon is a great book uh, because it has much to teach us about the power that exists in the fellowship between Christian believers. And I think it's a great book and I also think it's a great book because it's relatively short. There's not a great deal to get your head around, is there? Now, I don't know about you, but the short books of the Bible often get lost among the big hitters. Uh, But all scripture is God's word. And so we always need to remember that when it comes to the small books of the Bible, they are just as important as any other part of the scriptures. And this one in particular, because it has a very punchy message for all of us. But before we go any further, I'm going to pray and ask that God will help us as we look in his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Please grant us understanding of it this morning as we look at this very small little section of it. We ask you to help it penetrate our hearts so that we leave this gathering this morning changed wanting to live for you and your son and for the benefit of each other every day. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the first things we need to do when we come to a book like Philemon is to get our heads around the people and the places that are concerned. And we need to do this because it helps us understand what we have in front of us uh, all the more. Philemon was written at the same time the book of the, uh, to the Colossians was written and both of the letters uh, would have been read out one after the other uh, as the church met in that town. Uh, we are introduced, among others, to three different people in this book. Uh, first, we meet a man called Philemon. Uh, He is the one that the letter is addressed to. Uh, After all, it's the letter that has his name attached to it. We can tell from the passage that Philemon was a Christian man. We also know from other sources that, and even from within this book, that he must have been a very successful businessman as well as being a Christian. Look at verse 1 with me. A Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother... To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. To Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I hear Paul says that Philemon is a dear brother to him. A fellow co-worker in the work of taking the gospel to the world. He's a friend and fellow worker. Uh, They had worked together in ministry to some degree. And out of that, Paul tells him that he is encouraged by the stories that he is hearing of all the good things that Philemon has been doing amongst the brothers and the sisters, amongst the believers in Colossae. Uh, He had a church in his home, and so it would appear that Paul was hearing about what was happening in that church, and it gave him cause to thank God. He then continues in verse 4. Have a look at it with me. I always thank God, my God, as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. 
I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. He sounds like a pretty good guy, don't you think? He sounds He's the kind of person you'd want in your church, don't you think? Someone who refreshed the hearts of the saints. And this is exactly what Paul gives thanks for. He gives thanks for his faith in Jesus and he is thankful for his love for the Christians that met in his home. Paul also asked that God, asked God that he might be active in sharing his faith to new people and Paul is thankful and finds encouragement in his ability to be encouraging to other people. We see that in verse 7. The second person, well, we've already met him, and that's the Apostle Paul. Paul should be familiar to us because of the other books that he wrote in the New Testament. Uh, His conversion story in the book of Acts is an amazing story in itself. Uh, But Paul writes this book, and Paul tells us that as he writes this letter to his dear friend Philemon, uh, Paul is an old man at this point. Uh, Paul is in jail. But despite that, he's still telling people about Jesus and what he came to do for them. And what we hear is that people are keeping on becoming Christians because of it. And it is at this point that we need to pause. Because Paul tells us in this book that just like a whole bunch of other people had come to faith through Paul's ministry, Philemon had come to faith through Paul's ministry when he visited Ephesus. And so upon returning to Colossae, he shared the gospel more and more and more and more people became saved, which is what led to Philemon starting the church in his own house. So we met Philemon and we've met Paul, the man who led Philemon to Jesus. The third person in our story is another man who Paul also led to faith in Jesus and his, his name is Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a slave. And what we find out over the course of this short little letter is that he was actually a slave of Philemon. And as more and more Christians gathered in Philemon's home, I wonder how the non-Christian Onesimus would have felt. Now, put yourself in his shoes. All these weird people that say they're brothers and sisters in Christ who weren't actually brothers and sisters at all, start turning up to your master's house, it'd be a little bit strange, wouldn't it? Well, that's what seemed to have happened for Onesimus. Uh, The continued and growing presence of Christians in his master's house felt so strange that he ran away from his master. And to fund his escape, it appears that he had stolen money from Philemon, his master. And like most runaway slaves, he most probably went to Rome because Rome was where all the new work would be. Rome was a very good place for an unemployed runaway slave to go. The coincidence here, though, is that while Onesimus was in Rome, guess who else was in Rome? Paul was in Rome when he arrived. And this is where we pick up the story. Onesimus had stolen from and left Philemon. He had escaped defiantly without the permission of his master. 
Uh, the master, masters weren't usually in the habit of just letting their servants go. You need to know that. Uh, Onesimus had left, which means that this story creates a problem for Philemon, uh, but we will come back to that in a little bit. Onesimus heads for Rome, probably in the hunt for some work. Onesimus meets Paul when he arrives at Rome. Paul shared the gospel of Jesus with him. And it's really inconvenient, but he came to believe in it. That's what happened. Onesimus was saved. What a great story. You can almost picture what might have happened next, can't you? Paul and Onesimus are chatting and it comes up that Onesimus is actually a slave. But not only that, that Onesimus is a runaway slave. And so they continue to chat and Paul asks Onesimus a question along these lines. Where did you run away from, Onesimus? Onesimus tells Paul that his master was a weirdo Christian guy in Colossae. And you can kind of imagine the cogs turning in Paul's mind, can't you? The light bulb switches on in Paul's brain. Well, maybe not a light globe. Maybe it was a candle. But you get the point, don't you? I assume that their conversation probably went something like this. Paul asks Onesimus, Onesimus, you're a runaway slave. Yes. From Colossae, yes. You're not one of Philemon's slaves, are you? Yeah? You mean Philemon from Colossae? You mean Philemon from Colossae, who's also a Christian, who has a church that meets in his home? You mean that Philemon? Yeah, yeah, that's him. Well, Onesimus, I hate to do this to you, but I actually know Philemon quite well. Because I also led him to Christ. And I'm afraid that you're actually going to have to go back and set things right with your master, who you had escaped from. And now that you've both come to faith, you're going to have to go back and ask him for forgiveness for what you have done to him and the shame that you have brought upon his household. That would be a conversation, wouldn't it? And so what happens next is that Onesimus packs up all of his things and he heads back to Colossae to see the master who he had run away from, to see Philemon. But he doesn't go alone. One of the beautiful things about Christian fellowship is we don't do it alone, do we? And so Paul sent a letter with the returning slave. And so Onesimus fronts up with a letter to the Colossians and this personal letter to Philemon, and he presents them both, and they both would have been read out aloud uh, in the church that met in Philemon's home. And so that's what we have in Philemon. That's kind of the historical background for what's going on. And then we have this letter, which is essentially a letter with Paul pleading and appealing for Philemon uh, not to punish or get rid of Onesimus, but instead to accept him back. Uh, On his own, I assume that even though he had come to faith and probably even knew that he was responsible for what he had done, it wouldn't have made him want to come back. Would it have? I don't think so. After all, he was in Rome looking for something completely different to do, wasn't he? He was probably looking for another job, probably even as someone else's slave. A Philemon probably would have had very good reason to be very angry with the whole situation. After all, Onesimus had left him, hadn't he? 
Onesimus was the one who had done the wrong thing and Philemon was the one who had been wronged. Well, we don't know what Philemon's reaction was to the actions of Onesimus, but Paul does, Paul does not give us much indication of what they were, but it would have been an awkward reunion, don't you think? Because it would have been very common for a master to feel ashamed publicly that one of his slaves had been able to escape. Much like I assume that being a warden in a prison, it's a bit awkward when one of them gets out, isn't it? Because you've not done your job properly. It would have been an awkward reunion. It would have been very common for a master to feel ashamed at what had happened in his house. And when you think about the culture at the time, it was a shameful thing to not have your house in order, whether it be your biological house or even the slaves that were in your house. Which meant that a master would actually have every right to punish the returning slave for the things that he had done. Now, this brings up other questions about the New Testament's attitude to the very notion of, the sla- of slavery. A slavery is a topic that the New Testament actually does not have a whole lot to say about, other than to acknowledge that there were Christians who became Christians while they had slaves. There were Christians who had slaves and there were Christians that were slaves. That's basically all the New Testament teaches us. But on returning, Paul expected Philemon to act very differently to what he might normally do. And the reason he wants him to act differently is completely down to the fact that he was a Christian. That because of Philemon's relationship with Jesus, it should change the way that he behaved in everyday life. A Philemon hearing about God's grace and the forgiveness shown to him was something that was going to have to change his response when he was faced with the decision to show mercy and grace to the slave who had run away. And so we move on to verse 8 to 25. Paul's appeal to Philemon really starts in verse 4, but he explicitly states it uh, starting in verse 8. And I think it speaks for itself, so I'm going to read it again for us, but have a look as I read it for us. Verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Anisimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. He continues in verse 12. I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favour you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Uh, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. What is Paul asking Philemon to do? This is the most powerful part of the letter, because Paul is asking Philemon to take back 
Onesimus. Paul is appealing to Philemon for him to take back this slave who had run away, the slave who had wronged him and brought disgrace on his household. But did you notice Paul isn't just asking him to take Onesimus back like the way that they were before. Paul wants things to be different when he, brings, when he comes back. Paul wants Philemon to take him back as a brother and a partner in the gospel. You pick that up in the, he's helpful to me, but he will be helpful to you. You see what's going on here, don't you? Paul anticipates that as Onesimus returns to Philemon, he is more important than he was before and more useful than he was before because upon his return, he has become useful to Philemon's ministry to the people of Colossae. Paul tells Philemon that he wants, to take, he wants him to take back Onesimus and he wants him to pretend as if Onesimus is Paul himself. Now that's what this letter of introduction essentially does. Remember our connection in the past? I want you to pretend that Onesimus and you have the same connection that we do. And we pick that up in verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. Paul usually had scribes write his letters for him, but this letter is very personal. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. I don't know what your experience was of coming to know Jesus. And maybe you don't know him yet. But if you do, it's a great thing to share with each other how you came to know Jesus because it encourages other believers in their faith. Uh, If you are friends with Jesus, no doubt in your story of how you became a Christian, uh, there was a person who explained the gospel to you for the very first time. Uh, The person who introduced you to the saving power of Jesus for the first time. Uh, For me, it was a guy who was a youth group leader in the church that I grew up in. He would meet up with me uh, every Sunday afternoon at 3.15pm and he read the Bible with me and he would explain the Bible to me. Uh, We were reading the Gospel of Mark one day and we were towards the end of the book and he asked me during our discussion at the end if I believed what we had been reading. His question, uh, I think, essentially went something like this. What do you reckon? Do you reckon it's true? And I went, yeah, I think it's true. He said, well, I think you've just become a Christian. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, and so there probably wasn't really a time in my life that I could identify that I was uh, the wayward child that had turned my back on God. Uh, But that youth leader has become very significant for me in my life. We never talk. But if he was to write me a letter along the lines that Paul writes to Philemon, I would take notice because of the significance in my life. I always have have a great sense of thankfulness and affection for that youth leader. 
And that kind of affection is something Paul wants Philemon to remember as he writes to him. Paul wants Philemon to remember their friendship and affection for each other. And he wants Philemon to show the same friendship and affection to his returning slave Onesimus, even though he had betrayed him. And then in verse 22, Paul gives Philemon a template for the kind of welcome he expects will be given to the returning slave. Verse 22. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends you greetings. And so to Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. How does Paul want him? How does Paul want Philemon to welcome Anisimus? Does he have to sleep in the shed like he used to? That's not what Paul's doing here, is it? He says, welcome him as if you're welcoming me. And then he just at the very end shows him what welcoming Paul would probably look like. The best room in the house. The best food available. A seat of prominence at the table. And so here Paul reminds him of his conversion to Christ And how they have a special connection and therefore Philemon should treat the returning slave exactly like he would treat Paul. Because brothers and sisters in Christ don't show favourites, do they? Paul wants Philemon to welcome Anisimus back just like he would welcome himself. And in this conclusion, he subtly reminds Philemon of all the other co-workers who now know about the situation as well. That's what the roll call is at the end of the book. Mark, Luke and others know exactly what has happened. They know what Paul has written to Philemon about and therefore Paul expects Philemon to welcome Anisimus back. But why should he welcome him differently? Why should he? Isn't justice far more delicious? Isn't getting back at someone the way that we should operate because that is what makes us feel good? Well, Paul tells us, no, that's not the way people should act in God's family. I think there's a theme that Paul has been trying to get across in this book. Through the story of Onesimus, Paul wants Philemon to know that as a Christian, he should act differently to the way a normal master would act towards his slaves. But more specifically, Paul is making a comment about how believers are supposed to act towards each other in God's family. Paul is expecting that Philemon will accept Onesimus back as a brother and he expects him to give him everything that he would give to Paul if he was coming to visit. But why does Paul want Philemon to act differently? Well, it's because of his faith in Jesus, isn't it? Paul is saying that because of Philemon's faith, and the faith of Onesimus, they're no longer master and slave, they are brother and brother in Christ. And because they are now brothers, they should act like brothers. And not dysfunctional brothers, but brothers who actually love each other and care for each other's well-being. They should be brothers who are united by their faith in the gospel that saved. Can you see what has happened? 
Uh, Onesimus has betrayed Philemon and Paul is saying that he will pay whatever is owed in a physical sense. But Paul actually says that no payment should really be needed because their same faith makes all of that irrelevant, doesn't it? The fact that they are brothers now outshines any debt that they might have to each other. So what on earth does a passage like this have to say to us? We don't have slaves, so that doesn't directly apply to us, does it? But this passage does speak to us about how we relate to each other as believers, how we are to relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul is indicating that there should be something very distinct in the way that we treat each other. We're supposed to be kind to other believers. We're supposed to be generous to other believers as there is need. Paul wants us to know that being a Christian should change how we do things. Trusting Jesus isn't off here and the rest of our life is here. The two come together. If you believe in Jesus, it should change how you live because you don't live for yourself anymore, do you? You live for him. Which means what Paul is essentially showing us in this short little book is that being a Christian should change everything, shouldn't it? It changes how we forgive each other. It changes how we live with each other because there is power in the fellowship of believers. Here we've seen that because we've been forgiven, then we also have the power to forgive, don't we? Because Jesus has saved us, we no longer live in the ways of this world, but we live in light of the new reality that we have been saved into. And that new reality is a heavenly reality. And the same thing is happening here in Philemon. This morning, Paul wants us to see how the gospel of Jesus should change us. It should change how we think and it should change how we act. It could be a change like the one that we have seen in Onesimus, a runaway slave who returns to his master whom he betrayed, a sent by Paul, the man who he shared the gospel with, to be reunited with his former master, not as a slave, but as a brother, forgiven for his past actions and welcomed back with abundance and celebration and ready to be helpful to Philemon in his ministry. Now, I suspect that for most of us, it's not going to be that dramatic, is it? We don't have slaves. As far as I can tell, in our two years here, there's no runaway slaves here. If there are, um, come and talk to me afterwards. I suspect that the change that will happen in us is that we will enjoy fellowship with each other, that we will be quick to forgive one another, that we will be... Uh, do, uh, we will be quick to do the thing that Paul indicates here, that we don't show favourites in God's family, but that we welcome and love and seek to encourage anyone that is in God's family who we come across. And it's all because of Jesus, isn't it? He's the model that we aspire to be like. Because if he hadn't forgiven us, then I hate to tell you, none of us would be forgiven. That's the reality. And so given our new forgiveness reality in our lives given the hope for heaven that we have for the future we live not in light of what we find ourselves in now but we live in light of that reality to come 
trusting in Jesus for everything. Friends, I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. We ask that coming out of it, that you will help us to constantly live in light of the reality that we are united in our faith in your son, just like Onesimus and Philemon could be united. Father, help us to be a people who are generous, a people who are forgiving and a people who are genuinely loving towards each other. And we ask all these things because of what your son has done for us. And we pray this in his name now. Amen.